Welcome to the ITSP Magazine Podcast Network. You are about to listen to an episode of the Audio Signals Podcast with Marco Ciappelli. In this new season, Audio Signals is repositioning its antennas, focusing not just on the stories, but on the storytellers. In our modern hybrid analog digital society, the art of storytelling has never been more vital or displayed such a diverse array of forms. Recognizing this, our conversations will spotlight the narrators, providing a unique exploration into the minds behind the narratives. From authors to podcasters, visual artists to songwriters, and everything in between, we will engage with all who contribute to this extraordinary tapestry of human experience. We are all made of stories after all. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of uh, Audio Signals podcast with me, Marco Cepelli. As you know, lately, not only we talk about stories of all kind, which often are books and written stories, but uh, that could be also uh, music, songwriting, painting, art, photography, any way possible way that people can tell stories. Uh, I like to say we're all made of stories, so we have different media to share them. And today we're talking about a book, we're talking with an author, and um, we got connected through one of these many nowadays uh, platforms that connect podcast uh, hosts with guests. And uh, I am really enjoying this new way of connecting with people instead of having PR or book publisher connecting with me because I get to know people that maybe are relatively new to to the storytelling business. And uh, for me, every conversation is worth having. There's always something that I learn. So I hope I'm going to get to learn a lot today from this conversation. And I hope you guys, people listening, do the same. And it's not just me talking. As usual, I have a guest. His name is Nathan Ogloff, and uh, he's uh, connecting with me from all the way up in Canada. Welcome to the show, Nathan. Thanks, Marco. It's, um, it's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you. So I, I did a little bit of the introduction for the show. Hopefully people already know what it's about, but uh, for those for the first time listen, I gave a little background. So next on the menu is uh, your background. So who, who is Nathan? And then we'll talk about also what you do. Well, Nathan's just a guy that uh, ever since fourth or fifth grade, I wanted to create these really rich, intricate, deep, vast universes that people could just dive into and get lost in and get obsessed with. And I think it all started when I saw the Star Wars trilogy. Uh, before that, I thought I was going to do architecture or engineering. And I saw that set of films and it was like a complete 180. I was like, forget all that, that other stuff. I'm doing that that is what i'm going to do for the rest of my life and then uh kind of struggled to figure out exactly how i would do it i thought it was going to be video game development or film uh, i tried being a programmer in the video game industry for a while it didn't work out and then in 2013 i had this idea for a novel uh it was an idea that was kind of swimming in my head for years but i decided to put it in written form because i thought Okay, here's this thing called a novel. Writing's a little bit of a simpler medium. You just needs you and you who do have a lot more mastery over your domain and your world when you do become an author. And so 
I said, well, why don't I take this idea that I think is very unique and very interesting. If I can just nurture it and breathe fire into it, then it, it, it can just grow and it can become something that really just blows people away. So in 2013, I committed to making this novel, which was originally going to be one. Now it's a series. Uh, and I thought it was going to take two years, but instead, nine years later, I finally finished it, tried finding a literary agent for a year, and then went the self-publishing route, and it'll be coming out in less than a month. And so that's, uh, yeah, that's who I am uh, in a nutshell, briefly. That's really cool. I also see on your website that you are an author, and we just heard that story. You're a metalhead. And mm -hmm. maybe some people want to know what that is and why you're a metalhead and a Lego fanatic. So we'll, we'll go into that. And for some reason, all these three, when I was reading your bio, they, they are connected <laughs> in a certain way. I don't know if, if you feel the same way. Uh, it's kind of like throwing this epic metal story in, in there that many, many times do often with, connect with sci-fi, with mythology. With, uh, with writing, I mean, again, writing song is definitely part of storytelling for sure. And then there is the, the Lego part that will be interesting mm -hmm. to, to know. But uh, do you see this connection? Is it like all the things that you do kind of gravitating around this sci-fi fictional world? I would say, okay, so I mean, I just tend to like go after stuff I like, but I can say specifically with metal, like it, it's, not something I've been super into for my whole life. It's only really been within the past five years that I've kind of just committed to like, oh, this is the music I'm listening to. And it was a series of a bunch of things. So it was um, the fact that I'm writing a post-apocalyptic series. And I remember yeah. seeing Mad Max Fury Road. And there's that one part where like the guys in the war wagon <laughs> with the guitar just riffing. And it all just went to all so together. So I'm like, all right, metal, like, I, I, like that's good to have in my post-apocalyptic. <laughs> but then I also saw there's this YouTube channel I follow called Geography Now, and they had a video called The Geography of Metal Across the World. And so you find out that metal doesn't tend to be a very, like, it's not always necessarily a Western thing. Like, they exist in various different forms across the planet. So, like, for example, there's a... Colombian metal band on my playlist called Kraken that I have and then I have a Mongolian metal band called The Who um, on my playlist and they got like this wild sound because they combined their traditional throat singing with like the instruments and so hmm. once, once I saw all, like there was all these bands across the world right because my series involves rebuilding civilization across the planet and I do have story arcs that eventually start in other parts of the world I said well, this is metal across the world. It takes place across the world. To keep the theme consistent and the stylistic elements consistent throughout the series, like this is it, this is what I want to have. And then that, that was the second thing. The third thing was I started just finding random metal playlists on YouTube, like people would just make various collaborations. And then I started getting introduced to all these bands and their songs and I was like, oh my God, God, this music's like on a completely different level than a lot of this pop crap I've listened to or just kind of I hear in the background of everyday life. So, uh, and I've always had a, like, I've always gravitated towards like the 80s metal and like hard rock. It's, it's what I remember from my childhood. And so 
what I ended up doing was I ended up doing this process where like if I like a couple of songs by a band, I'll like start going through their albums from the first to the last. And as I listen to the songs, I kind of write down what I think is great or what I think is like. I get a list of songs that I like, and then I'll go through it again. And if I do indeed like those songs, I add them to this playlist of mine. And um, metal, in a sense, is connected to my interests. Because if you've ever noticed metal bands, like if you've listened to enough of their songs, you can tell that they were these nerds and geeks in high school. But instead of going the tech or intellectual, into, quote unquote, intellectual route, the science route, they were artistic and went the you know song route. And so you can tell a lot of that in their songs. Like, I mean, there's a band called Gamma Ray. Well, Gamma Ray is one of the most powerful energy events in the universe. And then, as I was telling you before the podcast, there's a man award that they sing songs about Norse gods and mythology. And you find that happens in a lot of um, bands. Um, Dio has uh, this one song called The Book of Magicka at the end of one of their albums, which is really a song. It's just kind of like a short little legend, but still that fantasy element. And so um, if you've looked at Judas Priest's album covers, they do have sort of a sci-fi element to some of them or a machinery element. And Oh, that's another thing. I, I do like machines, and you guys will see a lot of that in my novels if you do read them, which you should read them because they're really good novels. Uh, and so it's, it's just all of that really hit me and it really aligned with my interests. And so, uh, I, I was just like, yeah, this is, this is me. This is, uh, it, it, it suits me so well. And so, yes, in a sense, um, they are related, although I don't know how many, uh, heavy metal authors there are out there so far, but Hey, maybe I'm the first, I don't know. And so there's heavy metal, and then there's Lego, which I don't know if it really aligns with what I'm writing, but it was, it's just something that I had told myself a long time ago. I said, okay, I'll stop messing around with this when I get tired of it. And I just never got tired of it. I mean, I thought like, because, you know, like the, the, the boxes used to say 8 to 14, and so I thought like when I turned 15 i would just some switch would get shut off and i would just suddenly lose interest but i mm. found that wasn't happening and so it's gotten a little crazier in recent years because i don't have the space or the money for it but i use a program called lego studio to make these really large lego models i have and a lot of them have done what are called photorealistic renders of them and i put them on my instagram and so uh i've got like it's 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 usually just been mostly Lego spaceships recently, and so uh, the largest. It, it all comes together. It yeah. all comes to Star Wars. I I was envisioning you when when I saw Lego, you building you know the Death Star or you know the the big uh, the big spaceship and the X wings and all of that. So I don't know. I I kind of had this idea that everything was coming together, and as you are telling me this. It sounds to me that there is a, a, a common theme that, uh, yeah, then it brings you to this kind of probably post-apocalyptic uh, stories that we're going to dig into a little bit more. I mean, I'm looking at the, the cover on your, on your website for your book, uh, The Sapien Empire, and it does remind me a little bit of Dune, a little bit of... Uh, uh, Star Wars, the de I see the desert and I see all of that. And if I'm going to play music with this, it's going to be 
it's going to be heavy metal for sure. So, <laughs> but I come from that as well. So that's why I'm excited about this conversation. But let's dig a little bit more in, into the book. So I know it's not just uh, adventure per se, but you have some important messages and meaning in, in when you decide to, to share this story and to create this environment as well. So let, let's start with that. What is the, the mission apart from writing? And, and having uh, entertaining people. So in the book, um, if for those who don't know, it's post-apocalyptic, but the twist I have here is civilizations coming back. So I'm really starting at the end of the post-apocalyptic era. And when civilization comes back at the hands of the protagonist, they're trying to do things right, have a moral world, one that's not filled with um, a lot of injustice and decay and um, narcissistic sociopathic people having their way and being in charge um typically what you think of post-apocalyptic and so um that mission uh is a lot easier said than done and so in the book uh i do a lot of explorations of like how do you create a world like that and i have to go into detail about how societies organize themselves and what better is and why people think and function the way they do and why people um, disagree. Because I've, I've been telling people recently that one of the problems is, is a lot of us want the world to be a better place, but we tend to have our different versions of better. So mm. someone's better, maybe somebody else is like not better. And so because they disagree on their versions of better, it's, um, as a result, there's there's tension and nothing really happens. And so it's like, well, if you want something better to happen, if you want to not repeat the mistakes of the past, you really need to take a look at why people act the way they do, how they can get manipulated um, by um, charismatic yet, um, again, sociopathic leaders that may not have their best interests in heart. They're just power hungry. Um, and uh, I do, I don't, not so much in the first novel, but in the second novel, I start diving into, um, uh, we have a lot in our evolution that dictates our behavior and we're trying to push something counter to that. It really, uh, you're really going to have problems. So you first have to acknowledge that uh, as you try to build a, build, build, build a, a solution and, uh, really just ask yourself, like, how do we avoid this cycle that we seem to have been caught in for uh, centuries, if not millennia? Well, that sounds pretty intense. And I mean, I, I agree in having this kind of mission and, and vision. What I always find uh, incredibly difficult, and I said to myself, I don't know if I could do something like that is when you are able to create an entire world. And I, I love this kind of books. I mean, I love the Tolkien or the old Lord of the Ring, Middle, Middle Earth and, and all of that. And I, the, the Star Wars and, and all things that you've mentioned. And I'm like, I, I said to myself, I'm a decent writer. I like to write short stories or I write things for work. But um, the idea of creating an entire cohesive, consistent, coherent world, it, I don't know how you guys do it. So can you maybe give me some of your 
the way that you do something like this and you say, okay, this is the core of the story and this is how I'm going to build everything else. It, it's daunting to me. <laughs> yeah. So um, this isn't something I actually did with the first book, but I, and I should have, but I kind of did it with the second one is I had to first just sort of ground myself. Uh, I had to create some pillars, so to speak, that I could, um, mm. that kept me grounded. And so the pillars were, okay, what does it mean for something to be post-apocalyptic? Second one was, what do you like about post-apocalyptic? What gravitates towards you? Three was, what messages are you trying to convey through this post-apocalyptic world? And then four was, how do I tie it all together? So how do I create a world that draws you in? You see things from the perspective of the characters. The messages I display aren't too, too on the nose. Um, how do I just make it cohesive? And so one thing I liked about post-apocalyptic was there was elements of, and when I say post-apocalyptic, like there's basically two camps of it. There's the camp of the story starts with people that remember the world before the post-apocalyptic world. So you think on the, the walking dead, uh, or the last of us, there are people that remember life mm. before things went to crap. And then there's the other camp like Mad Max where it's so far in the future that the people have no memory of the our time and it's actually our time shrouded in mystery and myth and so I like it when they take things that we kind of take for granted and they're elevated to the level of them um, I, I I am they're, they're deified so the one example I like to cite is the cult of V8 in Mad Max Fury Road where it's just a V8 engine and a wheel, but it's like like the center of their religion. And so it, that's really interesting. And so you start with the world like that, and then you ask yourself, okay, well, I've got these messages that I want to convey of um, how do you make the world a better place, but you got to make it a better place when people think like that. So like, first you have to make it so that people understand what better is, or at least a portion of them. And then they got to convey that message to everyone else. And so one idea I really settled on in my story world was there's two types of societies that kind of exist. There's um these city-state societies that have the basic embers of civilization. So they know what like an economy is and they know what currency and trade and taxation are. And so they have a big memory of the past. They have a memory of these ideas of what better was supposed to be and sort of what people were trying to do before things went to garbage. And then you have these other societies, which are what you typically think of when you can think of post-apocalyptic like Mad Max, where everything in the past is just deified. And you might even go as far as to say they're a little bit more simplistic, quote unquote, than the city-state people. And so... I like that idea because it shows the contrast that contradictions that can often happen in our society between like rich and poor, uh, liberal and conservative, urban and rural, those like mentalities that sometimes really just butt heads with each other. And so that's um, where I started. And then a lot of these societies I build, it's just like, I keep like I, I get into this headspace where I'm like, oh, I've got the solution. This is just what society needs to do and everything will be fine. And then you realize, well, it's, it's a little bit more complicated than that. And <laughs> then you re then you talk to other people and you realize, okay, well, they have a different version of what you're supposed to do. And so, as I said before, all these different versions of what better is. And so 
I always keep coming up with a different version and then that just becomes the center of a belief for like a different faction of people within my world and within my story series as I um as I introduce them and as uh, the, the story goes on. So um, there's that and also a lot of the names I, uh, I'll either just play around with letters and words, or I sometimes just take words and sort of smash them together and do a lot of, um, you'll find there's a lot of portmanteau in my stories. And so, and also the dialogue, uh, there's that aspect too. And how do I, how I come up with that is uh, I kind of realized this when I was watching like the third or fourth season of Game of Thrones. That was a really popular TV series. And I was like, well, what's going on here? Why do people like it? And one of the things I noticed was the dialogue tends to have little hints of wisdom in it as they speak. And so I have that um, when I'm writing and I think things are said, but there's also kind of things underneath that are said, which I later found out was like how you write good dialogue. They don't necessarily talk directly about what they're both thinking. A lot of it's um, inferred. Mm. And uh, that's a, that's a long winded answer. The, the short answer I like to tell people, just to be funny and cute, is how do I come up with this? A lot of LSD and mushrooms, everyone. <laughs> but I, I, just that's saw, not true. I just saw the world all together come come to my mind. I'm always wondering if, you know, when you when you do something like this, you actually draw your own map, and so you're sure that if you do, a, if you have your protagonist, your characters do a journey, you know, you, you know what journey did in your creating actually this world as you as you do. And, um, and maybe as you answer that, you kind of started to hint into that. Um, if you want to tell me, I mean, who's who's the character on which the story is based and and how this person described? Or is it one person? Do you have multiple character kind of like the Game of Thrones where you have different story within the story? What What's the, the strategy? There? Yeah, so there are two main characters that are dual heads of state and they are responsible for kickstarting this rebuild of civilization. Um, and there are other storylines I do touch up on. It's usually just here's the villain talking with his comrades. And then like I have in the second part of the first novel, a little sort of sub story of uh, some commoners, so to speak, quote unquote, that um, you just kind of see things from their perspective. And that whole idea is to show like, here's how the decisions the um, people up top are making. Here's how they're affecting those at the bottom that they're trying to help. And I would say if anything, the main character the one that we start out with first is a little bit based off of myself because um I, I i've heard mixed things about inserting yourself into the story that you're not supposed to do it but then you read about like mark twain and he sometimes wrote stories where it was just pretty much him in the story and i think um if you're just having fun with this and having fantasy it's like taking yourself on a journey because that's really what you do whenever you tell a story a lot of it is just mm. you're kind of along with the characters for the ride and so um, we've all had this conversation with ourselves of if I ran the world, what would I do? And so, and who would I be? And so I thought about that when making up the main character, I said, what would I do? And so I took aspects of myself and put them in the main character. Uh, a lot of the descriptions don't match. like it's, I would say physical descriptions don't match me anymore, but they do match me when I was uh, 20 years younger. Um, 
and yeah, so that's uh, that's that's just that one character. Um, that is how I came up with them, and that's the that's the dice I decided to roll. That's really cool. So something I, I agree with you a lot is the better, right? The better for me is not what is better for. I mean, maybe me and you we could, but different culture. You started describing metal around the world and that how somehow there is this picture. So is there a culture that you're more inspired? I mean, is it people thinking on a Western civilization kind of culture? Or is it more inspired by, you know, you, you mentioned Mongolian, you mentioned Nordic uh, mythology, you mentioned Asia. Is that like something that you go, you 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 mix it all together, or is more inspired by a certain kind of culture? And what better is for that culture? Uh, so I would say primarily it is a Western culture. However, there is um this one concept in the beginning of the first story that I deal with, and the villain believes he has what's called the right of the abstract to rule. So there's this entity they worship called the abstract. And he believes the abstract has given him the right to rule divinely. And this is very similar to the divine mandate of heaven that we see in Chinese culture. So it does. it is mostly, I would say, for the most part, Western, just because Western tends to be about democracy and freedom and the free market, especially with capitalism. But um. What also makes the series interesting as I continue is a lot of those ideas get um, countered and clashed with um, people that do see things differently. And in my story, I do, especially because I'm going to have arcs that start in multiple places of the world, I do try to give, sorry, uh, as best I can, um, validity to a lot of the ideas and maybe just listen to people that have a different way of seeing things and say okay well they've obviously they do this for a reason there has to be a good reason what's the reason and also i don't want to have this attitude of i'm right everyone else is wrong i mean i if anything i do want to talk to people from multiple parts of the world and say this is the plan am i like forcing my beliefs on everyone is there something i'm missing here am i asking too much for the world like because, I mean, in terms of making the world a better place, it's not like I want everywhere to be like what you see on the interstate in the U.S. where it's just like fast food chains and strip malls and shopping places everywhere. Like, I don't want that. But I mean, like, a certain degree of peace, a certain um, people get to have, you know, a good level of education. They get to at least graduate high school. They get guaranteed jobs. Um, Health care isn't going to make them go broke um i mean just 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 that and then everything else culture wise um is really just up in the air i have no issues with it um i noticed you can't just change people by telling them what they're doing is wrong and even if you have a good argument it doesn't necessarily happen uh, uh because um there's, there's there's certain they they can kind of get defensive and um, rejected, especially uh, if you're not being too kind about it. And um, I even again in the novel in the series later on, I get to this whole concept of well, well language and discourse only works to an extent. I, I kind of touch up on this a bit in the 
I kind of hint at it in the first one, that language and discourse and um, sharing of information like we're doing can only work to an extent, but if people's brains are wired differently, they're just wired differently. It's like trying to interface two different operating systems, so to speak. So um, yeah, a long-winded answer is saying what the morals are. But again, like I said, it's making the world a better place. Well, you thought you knew what better was. You found out that's a lot deeper question than it is. Uh, we're going to find out exactly what that means over the whole course of the novel series. So again, long-winded answer for that question. Yeah. <laughs> it, it makes a lot of sense. And one thing I love to do in, in my podcast in, in general is to make people think. So your story seems to me that it is ultimately very philosophical, uh, very cultural. And and I, I do agree with you. I mean, I talk about ethics, especially now with technology and and when we say, you know, we got to put guardrail on AI and it's like, OK, but my ethics of what it could be good or bad may be different from yours. But at a human level, as a hearthlings, we there are at least certain <laughs> basic value human rights. And you listed them all that I agree. I mean, we otherwise, what's the point if there's no survival or living a decent life, good life, healthy life and, and all of that? So I think uh, you, you did a really good job in giving this answer and not giving away, of course, the book itself. Uh, you mentioned something about your passion again for machinery. So before we end, I'm curious to see, uh, because of course I haven't read the book yet, uh, do you go in this kind of description of, um, I mean, are you more dialogue based? Are you more descriptive in your way of writing? Is it a little bit both of both of them? And and how do the machine comes into play maybe in the in the story? Um, so it's it's a bit of both. I do have good dialogue, as people have told me, but I do have to describe things because it's a world that I mean, it's not like describing a thriller and. Florence, for example, where everyone knows what Florence and Italy and spy thrillers look like in general. I do have to describe things that don't exist in the world. And so the machines come into play because the main character actually starts off as working for the villain. And the main character's moniker is the machine, right? And so he's really gifted in engineering. Mm. And so mm. I talk about um, some machines he made that ultimately helped the villain um, conquer these other city-states that existed around his. And so I have something like a ghost flame tank, which is like a tank that emits like methane fires, which burn in the ultraviolet range. Um, there is, uh, oh, what else? Oh, there's a, a, something called the chained battering ram, which is like, a, it's based off of what's called a flail tank, which came up out in the 1940s. And so that's just like sort of the psychological devastating machine he comes up with. And then later on, he comes up with like a sampling machine that can like, if you have a mine or an, a patch of land where you're trying to sample where the good stuff is, it's just a simple, like the drill that goes down, takes up a sample, says, okay, what's here and then goes on and so forth. And it's quick and easy and able to reposition itself. So it, it's stuff like that. And then there's this, machine that comes about later in the story that I don't want to give away too much because it's pretty interesting. Yeah, I was going like, to stop you. I'm like, don't give away too much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, machines definitely do come into play because um, I do have this belief that 
making the world like basically our societies are complicated and your problems are complicated so complicated problems require complicated solutions and it's not all machines there is like discussion as i said before of like you know trying to understand each other and um understanding what good is and what better is and dif different versions of it but machines also do help i mean like I don't need to go far. Just look at the industrial revolution, made things cheap, increased the cost of living, provided jobs and opportunity for people to have a better life. Even if in the beginning, everything was really dodgy and slicey. Mm -hmm. But then again, that also caused us to have a conversation about, you know, like what better is and better was safe conditions and having an eight hour and not a 12 hour work day and not letting kids work in there. And so mm -hmm. it's almost like technology, drove us in the direction of having that conversation. So, um, right. especially since it's sci-fi, you're going to have to have interesting machines and technology um, yeah. going around. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah I, th I think that's just, um, that just, that's just, it, it's a given with my story for sure. Yeah, well, it seems to me that there is a lot of things that are pretty classic, let's say, into a sci-fi, but maybe some story are more focused on one side, maybe the psychological aspect, another more the the technology. Uh, this seems to me, and I, I'm looking forward to read it, a very, you know, um, comprehensive look at things. And what I like about, to, to end this conversation, is the fact that you, you're taking these post-apocalyptic things as an opportunity to do something with the knowledge of what went wrong because i'm not asking you that i don't want you to give up like what well, caused this <laughs> this apocalyptic thing is it a war is it atomic is it uh, an invasion from another planet i don't know but i'm envisioning that somebody survived and there is an opportunity to do it all over again in the wrong way or to do it in a better way. And I, and I, I like that approach very much. So to close this, um, two things. One, who did you have in mind? It's one of my favorite questions. Um, as a kind of audience while you were writing the book. You know, you always have an idea who is going to read this book, right? Um, is it somebody passionate about sci-fi already is it somebody that is more interested in politics and sociology and philosophy is a young crowd is it older crowd whatever it is i don't know that's the question and the other one i want to know what is the perfect soundtrack for reading this um so uh in terms of audience i was told you should write the book you want to read because yep. you're making it and it should be something you want to enjoy reading makes sense so yeah. Uh, myself as the audience, but like, yeah, anybody who likes science fiction, uh, Star Trek, Star Wars, Dune, Mad Max, uh, in terms of personal life, um, you know, it, it tends to be nerdy people that, you know, maybe having some adversity in high school, uh, you're getting tired of getting pushed around, you're getting tired of problems um, happening and nobody doing anything about it. And so you just want to indulge in this fantasy of you rise up and you take charge and then you just start setting things right yeah. so there's that and then the perfect soundtrack for reading this uh i don't really listen to a soundtrack while reading i just kind of if anything i just play a youtube fireplace soundtrack because it's nice and cozy yeah. um but if you're listening to music uh listen to my heavy metal slash hard rock playlist <laughs> on youtube because i have got 
uh, almost 140 bands and a week worth of music on that. So you guys will have got a lot of variety there for sure. All right. I, I, I kind of had the feeling that was going to be the answer. So, but the, the cozy fireplace is also very cool. I, I think music, it's, it, it can change according to the mood, according to the, the feelings that you have and what, what you want to do. I mean, I'm, I'm very eclectic when it comes down to music. Uh, Nathan, fantastic conversation. I want to thank you very much. I want to invite, of course, everybody to check your website. There will be notes on the podcast. And if you're looking at watching on YouTube, of course, there will be the notes under the video and a link to your books, which uh, let me see, will come up. Uh, I see in, in February 6, 2024. Is that, mm -hmm. yep. is that still correct? Yep. And so we got we got time to probably listen to this uh, a few days before we actually uh, have that publication date. And uh, and again, uh, everybody subscribe to this channel, but also follow uh, Nathan on his social media and definitely check out the book. I will definitely do that, and I will listen to the 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 compilation your YouTube playlist. I think it's going to be right up my alley, especially when I work out or something like that. <laughs> Other than that, thank you so much for being on the show. I hope uh, to have you again in the future with your next uh, adventure. And, uh, and I best of luck for, for this book. Thank you so much. It's, it's been awesome being here. All right. Thank you, everybody. Stay tuned. There'll be more here on Audio Signal Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Audio Signals with Marco Ciappelli. If you learned something new and this conversation made you think, then add this show to your favorite podcast player, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and share the ITSP Magazine Podcast Network with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to connect your brand to our conversations and our audience, visit itspmagazine.com to learn how to sponsor one or more of our shows. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey.